Good morning, guys. Coming to you from Cannon Beach by Haystack Rock. Uh, this is where Jen and I go every January to be with other pastors and people that do what we do and to take time away to think about what's going on and just kind of hear from God. And it's been a really special thing over the years. So thank you for letting us go. have come to you in the mail. If it didn't, or you looked at it and there's something um, with it that needs to be changed or looked into, would you email brookviewgiving at gmail.com and um, we will work on that together. Um, the other one is just fill out your connect card that is on your seat in front of you. And um, if you're watching online like we likely are, um, will you fill out the online connect card at brookviewchurch.com? Um, Bryce is going to be speaking this morning, and so Bryce, welcome and thank you for being at Brookview this morning. Slay it, Bryce. <laughs> See you next week. those guys um i will uh i'll try and do uh pastor jason and jen uh, proud today um, i actually was with them at that retreat and what a beautiful place um uh, where i was staying uh haystack rock was to my left so they they must have taken a walk down the beach because we were staying at the same place so um i, I just want to say i i really uh i love you guys as a church You've always been uh, so receptive to me, and I, I feel the love. I feel the love. Just want you to know that. And uh, I know your pastor and his wife love you guys incredibly, too. I've, I've seen the uh, entire journey as Jason uh, and Jen began ministering out here in this area, and uh, they have loved and led well, and uh, I appreciate their friendship, and I really appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, just share with you today. And uh, it's been a while since I've been here, I think, because uh, there's been a couple more additions <laughs> to the congregation <laughs> in the form of babies. So <laughs> sweet. Anyway, that's uh, congrats, you guys. That's so sweet. Um, I wanted to start with just a couple of questions. How many have done some research on your family tree? Okay, quite a few. Uh, Ruffians or uh, really good people in your past? <laughs> Little mix? Yeah. I, I grew up knowing that I had ancestors that came over on the Mayflower. Um, and that's not really going back a, a long way, really. Um, their names were Francis and Sarah Eaton, and they had a little boy named Samuel. And they came over on the Mayflower in uh, the 17th century. But I had a family member that did some work on our family tree on both sides actually and um, I, I know they went back as far as the 8th century and we were related to Charlemagne have you ever heard of Charlemagne yeah uh, king of the Franks uh, now I was thinking about this uh, that's royalty and of course when I heard that uh, I felt really <laughs> special very special 
But I want to say we might be related because from what I understand, uh, Charlemagne had like five wives and several concubines. So it's very possible your family tree might trace back there too. And so when I say we're family, <laughs> we literally might be family. <laughs> Just saying. I think Rod, Rodney Dangerfield, he made this statement. He goes, I looked at my family tree and discovered that I was the sap. I like that. <laughs> Now, let me ask a further question. How many have done some work looking back on your family of origin? A little bit. Okay. Well, then this is going to be really good for us today. Um, this is going to be good. And, you know, my prayer has been this, and this is ultimately, even as I was driving down here today, um, my prayer is that you don't hear my words, but you hear the voice of God today. I think he wants to say something to you personally, deeply. And so uh, hopefully this will be something that God can use that you hear his voice today. Um, looking back in family of origin, I love what Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, said. He said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Now, I know this. As I have gotten older, I can look back farther. <laughs> I have to say, too, as I look back getting older, I am able to see some things that I didn't see years ago in my family of origin. And, um, I, you know, I, I realized how powerfully shaped I was by the family I grew up in. Um, I want to say the most important thing was I did grow up in a home that taught me about Jesus, and I am forever eternally grateful to grow up in a home, but we were not the perfect family. Uh, not at all. We were flawed. We failed. There were messages I know that I received even as a child that were negative and that impacted my life in huge ways. By the way, just so that we're all on the same page, uh, every family is dysfunctional. Can we just get that out of the way? <laughs> um, and there's probably no greater human institution than the family that shapes you in such a formative and powerful way. And I like to say this, as we look back on our family of origin, it's uh, not so we can excuse ourselves, but we can explain. Explain, not excuse. Uh, we are still beings that have the ability to make choices and, and good choices. Um, one of the ways that sometimes to look at your family of origin, uh, roles, rules, and recordings. I'll just give you a sample of each. I'm not going to unpack all that because that's for another time and that's maybe for more of your own investigation. But when you look at the roles people played in your family, I know when I was growing up, I was a family comedian for a while. Yeah, it's natural that God would put me into ministry, right? Um, <laughs> I had an older sister, though, that she became a parent. She was nine years older than I am. She lives in Muckleteo, actually, and, um, about three blocks away from Jason and Jen, actually. Anyway, um, my mom was going through depression when I was in grade school. I couldn't understand why she was sleeping so much, but my older sister became a mother figure for me, and she still tends to try and mother me, but... Um, <laughs> All that to say we have different roles we play in the family that shape us. 
in powerful ways. Uh, as far as rules, I think more important is some of the unspoken rules in your family of origin. Here's one that came from my home, and I, mine was unique. I grew up a pastor's kid, so I was, you know, my dad was a pastor. And uh, one of the rules was you don't share with other people what goes on in your own home. Back then, it was really important that people lifted up the pastor and his family because they were to be the model of everything. And I still remember my mom saying, what would church people think? You know what they would think? These guys are actually normal. <laughs> they would probably be encouraged to know that the pastor's family had issues just like everybody else. You know, that's comforting, frankly. Otherwise, you're setting up a standard that nobody can identify with. Recordings. I still remember hearing, you should be so ashamed of yourself. Shame is huge. In fact, shame is something that could follow us clear into our adulthood. And we, instead of hearing, there is now therefore no condemnation, we can have this little voice that's just shaming us over and over and over again. Crazy. My father was a workaholic when I was growing up. By the way, this sermon I'm preaching today is part of my therapy program. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm fulfilling a certain step in my progress. <laughs> um, no, I spent a lot of time with my mom as a young child, so she was a major influence in my life. She was a strict disciplinarian. That was putting it lightly. Uh, discipline was common. Uh, severe physical punishment was the response to any disobedience and honestly as a child I felt like disobedience got way more attention than obedience <laughs> I transferred that on to God God recognized my failures no, more than my successes in fact in, in a sense God was just waiting for me to mess up so he could punish me that's a messy view of God that is not the God of the Bible it took me years to understand that God simply loved me apart from my performance because that's what I tried to do. I tried to, I tried to compensate. I tried to earn God's love. I tried being good. Boy, that worked for about two months. <laughs> and here was a God that loved me unconditionally. Now I want to say on a positive note, parents can actually be a positive example of who God is. It was later in life that I began to see God through more of uh, the life of my father as I began to spend more time with him. And my father was a very gracious man, uh, always willing to give another person a second, third, and fourth chance. Incredibly gracious. Here's a great quote. A child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. A child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. That's challenging, isn't it? To this day, I'm still learning how my family history and background shaped my life spiritually. But I want to know this. I have had to resist and rebuke lies that have been formed from my early years. And we're in a series on lies, aren't we? Right? Do you remember what Jason's been preaching? 
Oh, every, hey, Jason, if you're watching, everybody's nodding their head. <laughs> when uh, Pastor Jason asked if I'd join in this series on lies, I immediately thought about the many messages we receive in life and often how they become our life script. And those messages are shaped not only by words spoken or unspoken, but life experiences. And they are a powerful influence because they influence how later in life we either hear the voice of God, and I call that the blessing, or we hear the voice of the enemy, and I call that the curse or the lie. And there's a big difference between the two. Messages spoken or unspoken are so powerful. They can run deep. Some can stay with us for life. And like I said, it can be a blessing or a curse. I remember a, a woman in the office years ago and uh, we were in counseling and she just had a, a view of God that was so not God. It wasn't a God of love at all. And then come to find out as we were looking at her past, a statement her mom would continually say was, if you don't obey me, God is going to do something bad to you. She grew up with this idea that God is just simply a threat. God is a threat. On a positive note, uh, we have a friend in the family. It's always good to have friends in high places. She owns a multi-million dollar company. And I remember being at her birthday party that her parents put on for her in the top of the Columbia Tower. I don't get into the top of the Columbia <laughs> Tower very often. That was one birthday party I wasn't gonna miss. Um, but one thing that really struck me was as the program went on regarding um, her celebration, the statements, the powerful statements that impacted and shaped her life from a young child that her father gave to her that were positive, that were edifying and building up and challenging and encouraging. And so I realized words can be used either way, can't they? Um, it can either lead us to better things in life and to good thoughts about God, or it can really influence us and introduce lies into our minds. Uh, I've worked with recovery groups for years, and I have uh, not just words, but life experiences. I've heard story after story that uh, of early life experiences that have led to guilt and shame, hiddenness, depression, intense struggle, coping mechanisms that are unhealthy, a loss of true identity of being a person of worth and value who's been created in the image of God. And I love to see the work of God as he breaks down those lies and sets people free to begin to see themselves in a way that God sees them. And maybe you're here today and that's your story. Isn't it amazing how God can transform, break down lies and set us free to really hear his blessing on our lives. Now, I, I, I came across a word that I thought really reflects well what I think the enemy tries to do with words we've heard or uh, experiences we've had. The enemy likes to hijack. I think the enemy likes to hijack things that happen to us in life. Uh, and I think of this verse uh, in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue is, uh, it can either be used to bring health and healing and wholeness, or it can be incredibly destructive. Uh, Pastor Tony Evans says, we have uh, dynamite in our dentures. <laughs> 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 I 
Harmful words spoken can create internal wounds that fester into lies that we come to believe our, uh, about ourselves. And those words can come from coaches and parents and siblings and teachers and friends that can still haunt us to this day. I remember a basketball team, my son that is now 28, he was in middle school, and the coach had anger issues. I know, most coaches do. I, I think, well, the other word for it is they're competitive. Okay, yeah. that, that's, that sounds a little nicer. This guy had some incredibly competitive issues, okay? <laughs> his son was on that team. Now, his son didn't really fit the profile of what you would consider to be a natural athlete. His son was a little bit larger than the rest of the boys on the team, very clumsy in handling the ball, and his dad gave him the nickname of loser. Now, even to make it worse, his dad got him a team jersey with the number double zeros. That suggested me double loser. I always felt bad for that young man. In fact, even today, I wonder, does he still see himself as a loser? What does he believe about his value and his worth and his identity? At the same time, words can be healthy. They can be given at a very appropriate and, and apt time, a timely word. I remember when I was in college, I wanted to apply for being a resident advisor on one of the floors uh, of our men's dorm. And uh, I needed a couple references. So one of my references, I asked a school psychologist to fill out for me. And um, I'll never forget the experience he said, yeah, I'll fill it out for you, but I want you to come to my office. I want to fill it out with you. What was so cool is he went through this reference form that was asking questions about my gift and my character and my leadership, and he took each question, and he spoke words into my life that were huge. Uh, in fact, I remember leaving his office so encouraged and empowered that uh, when I eventually went into ministry, that is the way I began to fill out references for people. Unless it was a real bad reference. <laughs> I don't need to verbally affirm that in the office. But no, with uh, people over and over again, I've invited them to the office and then I get to verbally share with them what I see in them. Uh, and that's huge. That is so encouraging, so huge. You know, I believe when it comes to our Heavenly Father, He wants to bless you with thoughts and words that reveal the truth of how much He loves you, how much He cares about you, how much He uh, values you. He wants you to hear words of affirmation from Him. And I know, because I've experienced this myself, I know that there are times that God wants to say something to you and I, and yet there's that little voice in our, our head. And I, I think that's a voice of the enemy that says, that can't be true. That's not true. God doesn't really think that about you. It can't be. My goal today is that if you've struggled to receive the blessing and hear the voice of God, that you'll find freedom to hear what God wants to say to you in a very personal and powerful way. And in these four ways, 
and I'm sure there are more, but I believe God wants to hear his voice of blessing in this, that you are valuable, that you are lovable, that you are forgivable, and that you're changeable. God wants you to hear that from him. Now the enemy attacks with lies. We know that our enemy is a liar. He's called the father of lies, and he also is the slanderer, which means he brings accusation. When God says we're set free and no longer condemns, it's the voice of the enemy that says, no, no, that's not true. You're still guilty. You're still under condemnation and loves to keep us living under guilt. You know, when I look at the storyline of the Bible, God's desire has always been to bring blessing. Way back in the Garden of Eden, a lush garden that God has placed, this first creation of mankind, Adam and Eve, everything about that environment was the blessing of God, blessing of provision, the blessing of companionship. With our Creator strolling through the garden in the cool of the evening, the Bible talks about. The blessing of God is really God's favor and His approval and divine protection and spiritual prosperity. That is the blessing of God, God's divine favor. And yet we know in the story that Adam and Eve sinned and brought in the curse. But in spite of mankind's failures, God was not finished. In fact, his attention was still to bless. And we jump ahead to Genesis 12. He calls this man named Abraham. And he says this in Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. And whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So not only would Abraham be blessed, but his offspring would be as well. And there's some messianic overtones in that scripture. Fast forward, God asks of his people, Israel, that they love and obey him. They receive his blessings. At the same time, he warned that disobedience would bring consequences or curses. But in number six, he, he asked his servant Moses to speak a blessing over the people. This is familiar probably to many of you. You might have heard it at your wedding. Um, number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God has always wanted to bring blessing. And of course, we know in the storyline of Israel, the ups and downs of Israel, times of obedience, times of disobedience, times of blessing, times of consequences and curses. And yet God wasn't finished, and through the words of the prophets, he spoke of an ultimate fulfillment of blessing that he wanted to bring. And I think particularly in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release for the prisoners. And notice this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Lord's blessing. It was no coincidence that Jesus strolls into the synagogue in Jerusalem, picks up the scroll and turns to Isaiah 61, and he begins to read. And guess what? He's reading all about himself. <laughs> He's the one. He's the ultimate blessing that God was going to bring for spiritual restoration, to restore us from brokenness and bring in the blessings of God. Now, it's interesting. 
And I, I came across this verse, and it's a verse that I have overlooked, and I have a feeling many of us probably have overlooked it in the first book of John. We're real familiar with John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, words with God. It really, the eternity of Jesus is spoken about in that verse. And later, yet to all who received in verse 12, he gave the power to become the children of God. Those are familiar verses out of chapter 1 of John. But get to John 1, 16. Listen to this. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Isn't that cool? Gives me an idea. We have not only one blessing after another, they just keep on coming. They just keep on coming. I was just at Ocean Shores. You can't beat that spot for a, a place to see the beauty of creation. My thoughts always roll onto God when I'm looking at the ocean. And one thing I noticed about the waves, and I was thinking about this uh, as I looked at them uh, this last week, is they just keep coming. <laughs> they don't stop. They just keep rolling in. And man, what a, what a great picture of, of a God who continues to bring blessing one right after another. They just keep rolling in. And we've received so many blessings. We could, we could spend the rest of the day talking about the blessings of God his acceptance and restoration, his forgiveness for our failures. We've been reconciled with God. We've been empowered by his Holy Spirit. We have strength in our times of temptation and weakness. We have grace that's been given to us. He brings us into a new family. You and I, Brookview community, where we love and encourage and pray and edify and serve one another, and we've been blessed with an incredible future. Because one day we're going to spend all eternity with each other. So treat each other well now, because eternity is a long, <laughs> a long, long time, okay? I, I don't want to miss this. There was another blessing that we see in such a powerful way because it is the very words from God's mouth to his son in Matthew chapter 3 at his baptism. Do you remember this? A voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Wow. That's powerful. God is saying to his son, I love you. I'm so proud of you. You are mine, and I'm pleased with you. I think some of us struggle to hear that voice to us from God. Do you hear God saying to you, I'm pleased with you? Back in 2006, I was invited to go up to Kodiak, Alaska. Anybody been to Kodiak? Okay. Survivors. I call you guys survivors. <laughs> <laughs> the wind blows. It's cold. Um, I was up there to do some district work and I was working with our licensing and ordination committee and I had been sent up there to do a really cool thing is to do an ordination service for a young pastor that had gone through the entire process. And uh, I want to say I, I went up there dressed for Washington weather. Not a good idea. 
In fact, the home that I was staying in, um, there was this breeze blowing in under the windowsill, and it's hard to sleep when you have cold air on your neck, you know? So I stuffed a pillow up there, and um, when you're landing in Kodiak, you guys I know have probably experienced this, there's often a side wind, and they often have to take another pass, and that was truly the case when I flew in. Um, Alaska's unique. When you talk about the rugged outdoors, I grew up in Montana. This is just a notch above, really. When I got onto the airplane to fly to Kodiak, I was sitting by one of the emergency exits and the stewardess asked if I was ready, willing, and able to open the exit door, should we go down into the freezy, icy waters of Alaska? And I unthinkingly just said, sure. As I sat there, I thought about it. What a reasonable request. Are you able to open the, the door to let in the freezing icy water? How long would you really last in that stuff? I just thought, man, that, that was a real joke. She must have been playing a trick on me. I don't know. As I met the young pastor and his lead, uh, it was interesting to learn that there was a Coast Guard base in Kodiak. And the church had great ministry to the men on the base. In fact, I began to meet a lot of these men. In fact, after a Sunday service, we had a potluck afterwards and, and uh, met a lot of these guys. And I was getting introduced to cold water rescue swimmers and helicopter pilots. One pilot, he's famous up there, Captain Ng. In fact, books have been written about him. In fact, I grabbed a book the first night I was there in the room I was staying, and I was reading about Captain Ng, and then like two days later, I met him. And so I bought the book and had him sign it to my son. That was kind of cool. Um, so here I am with these guys. And do you remember the movie The Guardian? Some of you weren't born yet, maybe. Um, but <laughs> I know I'm going back in history. That was 2006. Um, the movie had come out, Kevin Costner. Um, fortunately, he didn't die in the movie because we know he's in Yellowstone. Okay. Um, but I was invited to the Coast Guard base to watch this movie with the guys. And uh, here was the surreal part of it is, we're watching about cold water rescue in Alaska, and um, it's got this uh, mission in the dangerous waters of the Bering Strait. I'm not gonna tell you anymore in case you haven't seen it. Um, but here I am, I'm sitting with the very guys that do this stuff, watching a movie about it. And of course, they're analyzing the movie. Was that really filmed in Alaska? No, we don't have those kind of trees up here, and you know, stuff like that. But later I had a conversation. This was the significant part of it. I had a conversation with the lead pastor who uh, was doing Bible studies with a lot of these guys. And I asked this question, what makes a guy want to join the Coast Guard and take such a risk with their lives to jump into these dangerous, wild, storms and cold water rescue. That's frightening. His answer surprised me. He said as he has gotten to know these guys over the years, the most common answer once they really get down to the bottom line of why they do what they do, he said the majority have longed to hear from their father's son, I'm proud of you. And so, they so badly want to hear that, that they're willing to risk their very life. Little application side note, little extra, fathers. 
Let your children know you're proud of them. Not because of what they do, but because of who they are. I want to bring it down to some personal application for you and I. I want to ask you this. Are you hearing? Are you receiving? Not just hearing. I think we, we are told the blessings of God a lot. A lot. Every weekend, I know, we're sharing the blessings of God, whether it be in music or whether it's through the preaching of the word. But are you receiving it? That's my question. Or are you listening to lies? Are you listening to a voice that says you're so much less? God created you. He stamped his very imprint, his image on you, created you for a relationship with him. He cares for you. He knows your needs. He's your provider. In fact, you are precious to him. And guess how precious you are? He gave you his very best gift, his own son. He has loved you in Jesus, and I want you to know this at your best. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to even come running his direction. He came our direction. At your best, God loves you. At your worst, God loves you still. And your, his love for you is not based on your performance. It's based on the work of Jesus and what he, what he has done for you. And he loves you unconditionally and completely. You know, the enemy will try to get us to accept the lie that there is just something that God will not forgive us of. Maybe there are times that you've been in prayer and you've been confessing and suddenly there's this nagging memory that comes up and the enemy is saying, God can forgive you of these other things, but this one thing, you're not forgiven. That's a lie from the enemy. Let me share this scripture with you. This is so cool. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. That he lavished. That word means overflowing. God is overflowing with forgiveness. And you know, this, is a, this would be a sermon in itself, but it says with all wisdom and understanding. God knows that we need to have closure when we confess our sins. He knows that we have the ten tendency to not even want to forgive ourselves and how susceptible we are to the lies of the enemy. So he comes and he says, my love for you, my forgiveness is a lavish thing. And in wisdom and understanding, I know what you need. And I want you to know there's more than enough. There's actually forgiveness leftovers. Do you realize that? There's not only grace sufficient for your sins, but there are leftovers. The enemy will lie about an uncertain future. I love this scripture in Philippians 1.6, one of my favorite verses. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We have a good future. Today, tomorrow and all eternity and God isn't giving up on you one bit that's good news will you receive the blessing well you'll have an opportunity
I want to pray. I want to speak a blessing over you today. I'm just going to ask you to internally respond. I'm going to speak as if this is God's words to you, Brookview family. And um, maybe you want to close your eyes just so you can listen unfiltered. And maybe even turn your hands, palms up in an attitude of receiving. God, I want to receive from you today. And I want to pray a blessing over you today. Brookview family, I bless you. I know each and every one of you intimately. Know this, there's nothing you can do or say that can earn anything that I want to give you because what I give, I give freely. I want you to know that you're valuable. You're of great worth. You are precious to me. Will you receive it? I bless you. I want you to know that you're deeply loved. Oh, I, I know you haven't loved me perfectly, but my love for you is perfect. I don't love you any more or less. I love you through the sacrifice of my son Jesus, and you're loved in him, and you are my child, and I love my children something fierce. I bless you. Brookview family, I want you to know that you are forgiven. I have put your sins behind me. I have buried them in the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. Please, please, don't continue to live in guilt and shame. My love for you is lavish. Remember, there are leftovers in the fridge of forgiveness. Will you accept my forgiveness? I bless you. Brookview family, I want you to know that I'm with you in the journey. I'm continuing to work out my will in your life. I am patiently working in unseen ways, changing you and preparing you for an eternity with me one day. Don't be discouraged in the meantime. It will all be worth it. Will you embrace it? I bless you. So today, Brookview family, I bless you, I bless you. I bless you in the name of my son, Jesus, amen.